Well, thanks for being here this morning. It's so good to worship with you this morning. Thanks all who are tuning in online. It's just good to be together today. Uh, I get the privilege, like Glenn said, to serve on staff here at Union Chapel with our 7th through 12th grade, grade ministry, our 180 program. And before I dive into the text that I feel like the Lord has been placing on my heart over the last few months, I just wanted to start by sharing my story with you guys. I was really blessed to grow up in a Christian home, and from a very young age, at the age of six, I gave my life to the Lord. And it was at that time that I was being homeschooled by my mother and my grandmother, and I remember receiving an assignment from them to draw a picture of what I wanted to be when I grew up. And unlike most six-year-olds who drew a picture of a professional athlete or an astronaut or a school teacher, I drew a picture of myself holding a safari hat in one hand, a Bible in the other, and I was riding a giraffe. (laughs) That was their response too. And I gave that back to them and they said, what in the world is this? And I looked at them as the six-year-old and I said, I want to be a missionary when I get older. And if I'm being honest with you all, I didn't think too much of that picture that I drew as a six-year-old. As I grew up, I decided to go to Ball State University. I double majored in journalism and telecommunications. I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. That's what I wanted to do. And, but I also loved telling people about Jesus. I couldn't shake it. And I moved off campus my sophomore year with four other guys who were not interested at all in who Jesus was. They just wanted to party and have fun. And I kept telling them about Jesus over and over and over again until one day, one of my roommates, we were juniors at the time, right before winter break, he just asked me a question that propelled an opportunity to share the gospel again. His eyes were unveiled, his heart was softened and he prayed to receive Jesus. It was such a powerful moment for me because I'd been praying for this guy for years. But what I wasn't expecting is what the Lord did in my life at that time as well. And for the first time, maybe in my life, I just felt like the Lord impressed on me. He just spoke to me. I felt like I heard it so clearly. Would you consider going into vocational ministry? And from that moment, I haven't looked back. I served on campus at Ball State Uh, for a little over five years as a missionary there on campus, and it was just so good. And then about two years ago, my wife and I just felt the stirring that the Lord might be doing something different. And we began to pray about that, and just an act of obedience, we really uh, just reached out to Union Chapel to apply for this position as the 180 uh, pastor, and the rest is history, and it's been so good. But if I'm being honest with you, I was a little skeptical of what 7th through 12th graders would bring. And I didn't think, really, if I'm being honest, I thought that I was taking a step back with being able to have intellectual conversations, to be able to have riveting theology conversations. And that was my thought. And so I was just like, God, I'm just being obedient to you. And the very first Sunday that I was on campus here, I was standing outside of the 180 auditorium, just kind of minding my own business, and the sophomore girl walks up to me. And I look at her and we begin to talk and I ask people the same five questions, but one of the questions that I ask is, what is the dream? And I thought that she would respond like, oh, I want to become a dentist or I want to go to college because I have no idea what I want to do or, you know, a stay-at-home mom. I didn't know what she was going to say, but I wasn't prepared for what she actually said. And she looked at me and she said, I want to do whatever God wants me to do. And it was so humbling for me. Because the Lord in that moment just revealed his spirit and his presence to me and reminded me of this truth that I hold on to so tightly. 
that this generation of people, they're hungry for Jesus. And that was so profound to me. Pastor Jay and I had an opportunity to drive down to Wilmore, Kentucky. People are hungry for Jesus. This generation has something, I believe, to give to all of us. And I love this statement that every conversation starts by listening. And so maybe you're trying to engage with the younger generation. Start by asking good questions and then don't talk. Heed the words of James that says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. And my thought in that is that while you're listening to them, they will start to listen to you. So if you feel like you have a word for this generation, start by listening and they will repay the favor. I promise you. I would not be a good husband if I didn't mention that I'm married to my lovely wife, Brittany. Here's a photo of us at our staff Christmas party. And I'm so thankful for Brittany. And I remember people asking me, hey, how do you know that this is a woman that you want to marry? How do you know that this is a woman that you want to spend the rest of your life with? And I remember it very clearly when I knew. We had been dating for a little while and we were walking in the middle of campus where we met at the quad. And we were just holding hands and I looked at her and I said, why don't you speak very often? You know, she's very quiet, very contemplative, very to herself. And without hesitation, she looked at me and she said, why don't you ever shut up? (laughs) And it was in that moment that I knew that this was a woman that would challenge me, who would refine me. And I'm so thankful for her, so blessed to be married to her. Uh, She is finishing up her last semester in her doctorate in physical therapy program down in Indianapolis. And so she's just an amazing wife and and supporter. And when I think about love, I don't know about you guys, it's probably not where you're going, but when I think about love, the first thing that comes to my mind is the story of Forrest Gump. And how many of you guys know the story of Forrest Gump? How many of you have seen the movie? Okay, more than I thought. This movie, I looked it up and I was like, I'm getting old because it came out 30 years ago. And I was like, oh my gosh. But I love this movie. I love everything about it. But if you're not familiar with Forrest Gump, it's okay. But Forrest Gump is this man, he has Uh, mental limitations, he has physical limitations, but he always finds himself in the middle of really significant moments in history. And throughout his life, he's, he's just kind of wandering through life, but he is just fascinated by his childhood best friend, Jenny. He loves her. And throughout the story, they kind of have touch points where they see each other and then they go for a while without seeing each other, then they see each other again. And sorry, I'm about to ruin the movie for you, but you've had 30 years to watch it, so I'm sorry. (laughs) You can blame yourself. Uh, But near the end of the movie, they find themselves together, Jenny and Forrest, and Jenny is walking up to her bedroom and Forrest cries out to her, Jenny, will you marry me? And Jenny turns around and She smiles and she shakes her head. Forrest, you don't want to marry me. And Forrest gives me so much hope in his statement. He he tells Jenny, I might not be a smart man, but I know what love is. And that gives me great comfort as I hear that because I'm not a smart man. I'm not a smart man, but I, I know what love is. I know who love is. And This summer, I had an opportunity to go and follow Paul's missionary journey. I just submerged submerged myself in the life of the Apostle Paul. We did this missionary journey where we went to Turkey and Greece. And here's a photo of me in Corinth. They told me not to dress like a tourist, but I just couldn't help myself. (laughs) There There it is. 
And while we were there, we took a stop in Corinth. And while we were in Corinth, we found out very quickly that the Corinthians wanted to be significant. They wanted to have status. They wanted people to look at them as if they were worthwhile. And they started fighting amongst the churches that Paul had planted about who followed who. Some were saying that I follow Apollo or I follow Peter or I follow Paul or Jesus. They're saying all these different names. And the apostle Paul writes a letter to them, a correction, a letter of correction. And this is what he writes to them to kind of settle the debate. And this will be our springboard for this morning. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and it will be up on the screen as well. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Why? This is why. But with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. <laughs> Simply put, Paul's saying, I might not be a smart man, but I know what love is. And I've decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. So that your salvation, your understanding of who God is might not be with the wise and persuasive words that I say, but in the demonstration of the Spirit's power. That's what's lasting. That's what's going to get people through. And this is a prayer that I've been praying over the last few months as I've been preparing for this message, this prayer that I feel like the Lord has just impressed on me, but it is God, increase my love. God, increase our love. That has been my hope for all of us. And I think that I'm good at loving people, and the Lord reminds me, not so fast, we all need to be challenged and convicted by what I believe the Lord has brought to us this morning. And my first point is this, that God will never increase our love if we are disconnected from the source. I love what 1 John writes, what John writes in 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Here it is. It'll be up on the screen as well. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, and listen to this, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And this is the part that always challenges me and always reminds me that I need to be better at loving. In verse 12, it says, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. That's challenging to me. Their statement that John makes here is that no one has ever seen the Father, but if we love people, 
His love is made complete in us, and it's transferable to other people. We can see God through our love, is what John is arguing. I really love what Diedrich Bonhoeffer says. He's a German theologian. He says, human love is directed to the other person for his own sake. Spiritual love loves him for Christ's sake. We love because Christ first loved us. That is a challenge. But it's hard to do that. And you might be thinking, Christopher, my neighbor, he doesn't know Jesus, but he loves us very well. I'm challenged and convicted by what David says in the Psalms. In Psalm 16, verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. And what David is sharing with us is that we need God to be able to love people well. We need to abide in the love of Christ. Because when we do that, God will teach us who to love, how to love, where to love. Because I've seen it over and over and over in my life. And sometimes it comes out of left field. Like I mentioned, I had the opportunity to serve on campus at Ball State for a little over five years. And every spring break, we would take these trips all over the world. And for a couple of years, I was doing that in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam. And while I was over there, we would connect with uh, Muslim refugees who were seeking asylum from their countries, and they were finding themselves in communities and villages within the Netherlands. And we would go and have dinner with them, meals with them, laughter with them. We would share stories, but we would also share the gospel with them. And when I got back, I just felt like the Lord was impressing on me to take a week to fast and pray for my Muslim friends, people with the names of Muxtaba or Muhammad or Amir. And as I began to pray, that was going fine and well. And then Wednesday, in the morning, I was on my floor, I was just praying to the Lord. And I was praying for my friends, God, would you continue to do a good work in them that you started through us? Would they get connected to a Christian community? Would there be other missionaries who would come in and continue and pick up the laughter and the conversations? And out of left field, I just heard this name, Tyler. What about Tyler? And I quickly dismissed it. That can't be from the Lord. And again and again, what about Tyler? And so finally I gave in. I said, okay, God, what about Tyler? And then I just felt like the Lord was saying, look him up on Facebook. And I was like, now I know that this can't be God right now. (laughs) God doesn't want me to go to Facebook in the middle of my prayer time. But I looked it up, I looked him up on Facebook, and I remember the first Tyler that came to the top of my screen was a guy by the name of Tyler Kruer. Here's a picture of me and Tyler eating dinner together, but Tyler and I went to high school together. He was a few years younger than me. We played sports together, grew up playing baseball together. And as I was stalking him, I mean, looking at his profile, I saw that he was going to Ball State University. And so I thought, okay, maybe God is up to something. Maybe God is doing something here. So I got on Facebook, and I didn't have his number, so I messaged him on Facebook. And if you're familiar with Facebook, you know that as soon as you send a message on Facebook, you can tell when the other person receives it and reads it. And as I'm typing up this message, I hit send, and I'm proofreading it, looking it over, thinking, I know that this isn't from God, and he reads it. And my heart starts pounding. I start feeling some shame. I'm like, oh, no, this is weird and awkward. I feel like a Jesus freak. What am I doing? And he never responds. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I knew that this wasn't from God. I knew that this was so stupid. Why did I do that? And that was on a Wednesday morning. Thursday afternoon, he messages me. Hey, man, not weird at all. 
I'd love to get together and grab lunch with you. And so that following Friday, we got together and we talked about everything under the sun other than Jesus. For about an hour and a half, 90 minutes goes by, he looks at his watch and he says, oh shoot, I have to go back to class. I I have a test to study for uh, here coming up. Uh, Can I go? And so he gets up to leave and I said, no, you can't. And he's starting to think, this is a hostage situation. What have I gotten myself into? What is this guy doing? And I said, hey, Tyler, I would not be loving you well. I would not be loving Jesus well, myself well, if I didn't ask you this question. But I just felt like God has put you on my heart. Do you feel like God is doing anything in your life? And as soon as I asked that question, Tyler's eyes began to fill up with tears and he began to shake a little bit and he said, man, you're never gonna believe this, which is always a good sign, you know, when you're trying to navigate a situation. But he said, uh, when you messaged me on Facebook, my girlfriend and I, we've been dating since high school. We've been dating for a long time. We're about to graduate from college. And she looked at me the other day and she said, if we get married, I wanna raise our kids in a Christian home. And that scared me to death because I don't know any Christians. I don't go to church. I don't even know where to begin. My girlfriend, Shelby, doesn't go to church. She's not a Christian. She doesn't know where to begin. And I'm stuck. And in that moment, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, this guy that I'm loosely connected with from high school who just happens to be a missionary, who just happens to be a missionary on campus at Ball State University, messages me in that exact moment and says, I'm praying for you. I'd love to talk to you about Jesus. I think God is up to something. And there was something so powerful about that moment. And a few weeks later, we're driving on McKinley to the business building where he had class and we're stopped at the scramble light. And people are passing by and he looks over at me and he says, Christopher, do you think I could pray right now to receive Jesus as my savior? I looked at him and I said, absolutely, Tyler. And we had just got done reading through John 3. And so the ways in which Tyler could communicate to the Lord, he did. He confessed his sins. He believed in Jesus, asked for forgiveness, and promised to follow Jesus the rest of his life. And the end of his prayer was what got me. And he said, and Jesus, fill me with your boldness and courage to reach out to these students just like Christopher did for the rest of my life. There was something so powerful about that moment and I dropped him off at the business building there on campus and three weeks later we were sitting in a Starbucks with his girlfriend Shelby sharing the gospel with her. And she ended up praying to receive Jesus as well. And then that summer, I was minding my own business, I get this picture out of the blue and it's a picture of their engagement. And Tyler simply said, Christopher, thank you so much for listening to the voice of God. Now we're able to raise our kids in a Christian home. And there's something just so beautiful about that. But we have to understand that God doesn't work the ways in which we think he would work. I'm praying for my Muslim friends and Tyler, a very Western name comes to my mind. It has to be God. It has to be God. And so the second point is this, that we serve a God, and we have to acknowledge this, that we serve a God of an upside-down kingdom. And what I mean by that is the ways in which God is asking you to love, who God is asking you to love, how God is asking you to love, might not make a sense at all. Not a lick of sense. Sometimes, I believe, throughout Scripture, it makes it very evident that the greatest act of love is that of self-denial. When we give up our life for one another, that is what God is calling the greatest act of love. Sometimes, love starts with repentance. 
saying to someone who you feel wronged by, who you've arbored up resentment and bitterness toward for the last 25 years of your life, and you think, I will never speak to you again. Maybe it starts by picking up the phone and saying, I'm so sorry that I felt this way toward you. Will you forgive me? It doesn't make sense. It isn't the way of the world. It is an upside-down kingdom. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the apostle Paul writes this. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin. He was perfect to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. John Wesley puts it this way. Humility and patience are the surest proofs of the increase of love in our life. And so if you want to know if you're abiding in Jesus, if you're understanding and receiving the love of God, are you humble and are you patient with people? It's challenging to me. I don't know about you. This past winter, Pastor Jay, our young adult pastor, and I had the opportunity to coach the elite level of middle school basketball at Yorktown Middle School. And it was a lot of fun. Here's a photo of us and our team, a bunch of knucklehead sixth graders. And I remember as I was applying for this job, I asked them, what is the expectation? And I was, you know, thinking that they were going to say, you know, just make them into young, fine, outstanding men or help them dribble or improve their basketball skills. You know, they didn't say any of that. They said, win county. That's what the expectation was. Just win county. No pressure. Just win county. So very early on, we knew that we had a pretty good team, and so we knew that more than likely we would play Delta in the championship game, and so we had circled the regular season game against Delta, and then we circled the county championship game. And we played, we had a pretty good season, we finished 10 and 4, and we came to the time of Saturday morning, we're playing for the championship against Delta, and we come out, we were playing so well, and then the wheels start coming off as you can imagine. And our, one of our better players ended up shooting 0 of 11 from the floor. And he just would not stop shooting. He just kept shooting, <laughs> miss, shooting, air ball, shooting, brick. And just shooting. <laughs> I would just not stop. And, of course, we lost that game, as you can imagine, when one of your better players is, is not playing very well. And for whatever reason, I didn't make the schedule, but for whatever reason, our season didn't end on Saturday morning. We had a week of games and practice remaining. And so Monday morning comes around and this guy who's normally in the middle of everything, you know, he's one of the leaders. He's always kind of helping to run drills. He's on the side over by himself shooting on a side goal, just by himself. And so I walk over to him and I look at him, I call his name and he looks up at me and his face is really red. It looked like he had been crying all day. And I said, what's going, what's going on? He said, coach, everybody's blaming me for losing the game. And in the back of my mind, I was like, I wonder why, you know? <laughs> But I, remi- I was reminded of this prayer that I've been praying. God, increase our love. God, increase my love. And so I blew my whistle without thinking too much of what I was going to do or what I was going to say. I was just letting the, the father direct me. And we got to half court and I said, hey, this young man is communicating that you guys are blaming him for the loss. If you want to blame anybody, blame me. Blame coach. And Jay's over there like, well, what did I do? You know, I'm say, blame us. You know, we could have done a better job preparing you for the game. We could have taken practice a little bit more seriously on Thursday and Friday. We could have 
been more prepared. We could have ran more offensive sets. I could have called more strategic timeouts and maybe done a better job at substitution. And when I said that, it was interesting what happened. All of a sudden, one by one, everybody started raising their hand. Coach, no, 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 no. I could have been more aggressive. I settled for too many jump shots. You asked us to attack the room, and I didn't listen to you. Coach, I'm sorry. And one by one, all these guys started taking responsibility of the ways in which they didn't do a good job. And I remember this young man, he texted me after practice, said, Coach, why did you do that? It wasn't your fault. And I texted him back, I said, man, this is leadership. It's my responsibility as a a leader to take ownership of what I can take ownership of. And he said, Coach, and this is so sweet coming from the sixth grade. He said, Coach, I was thinking about retiring after this year. (laughs) Not anymore, man. I'm, I'm, I'm locked in. I'm locked in. But it's a beautiful story, which leads me to my third point, that love is our responsibility. It's my responsibility. And you might be thinking, well, love is just good and dandy for my wife or my kids or my pastor or their school teacher. No, no, no. Love is all of us. Every single person in this room, it is your responsibility to love people well. And the apostle Paul writes about what happens when we're doing a lot of amazing things for the kingdom of God, but we do not have love. This is what the apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardships that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. The apostle Paul is reminding us that if we do not love, we are nothing, we have nothing, we gain nothing. Profound statement. In 2020, uh, as we were singing the song, I was reminded of him, but when it said, our heroes of our faith, we're gonna stand with them. In 2020, one of my mentors by the name of John Drage. Uh, died of breast cancer, or uh, breast cancer, brain cancer. That'd be really crazy. But he died of uh, brain cancer. And I was so wrecked by that. I mean, he was just, just a pillar of faith for me. I loved him so much. And John Draghi, more than anyone I've ever met, just did a great job of loving people well. And he helped direct a leadership training program out in Estes Park, Colorado for a long time, for many, many years. And every time to kick off this leadership training program, he would do an evangelism training class. And one day, as I'm minding my own business out there in Estes Park, he comes up to me and says, Christopher, would you want to do this evangelism training class with me? Would you help me lead it? I was like, what? I was like, you're John Drake. I'm, I'm little Christopher Glotzbach. You know, I've only been in ministry for a couple of years. And you're asking me to help you lead this? And he says, yeah. Yeah, I see a lot in you. And I was so honored by that. And I remember uh, preparing for that time. And what am I going to say to young people about sharing Jesus with people? And as I'm talking to John, he tells me this story. And I'm so thankful for this story that John would always tell me. And maybe when you walked into the room, you received a packet of sweet and low. Do you have this packet of sweet and low? Yeah, but if you do, raise it above your hand. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, so almost everybody. If you don't, I would encourage you, if you don't have one, as you walk out, to just to grab one and, and place it in your pocket. And I've been preparing for this message now for a little over three months, okay? So I've been a little excited, just a little excited to be able to be with you all this morning. And I was reminded as I was preparing for this message of my friend, John Draghi. And so I, I, I got this piece, uh, you know, this little thing of sweet and lawn. I've put it in my pocket and it's been there for a little while, a little over three months now. And he would always tell the story anytime that we would start evangelism training. And he says, this is how love works. He had a good friend by the name of Kyle. Kyle and him were really good friends, and Kyle was an author. And every summer, his friend Kyle would go out to a writer's retreat in Estes Park, Colorado, for a week. And he had been doing this for 25 years. And the week after, he would drive down to the Denver airport to pick up his wife at the airport, and they would go to a neighboring retreat center to spend the week to celebrate their anniversary. And one day, as Kyle is at dinner with his buddies, his colleagues, they're laughing and having a good time, just feeling so refreshed about this week. And the waiter comes by and says, hey, would you guys like any coffee or dessert? And something in that moment clicked for Kyle that hadn't clicked for 25 years. And he looked over on the table and there was a set of sweet and low packets. And he said, hey, yeah, I'd, I'd love some coffee and dessert, but could I just grab a few of those sweet and low packets? I know it might sound like an odd request, but I'm about to pick up my wife in a few days, and we're going to go to a, another resort, and they don't have these sweet and low packets, and she's always so frustrated when the waiter or waitress comes by because she can't drink coffee without it. And the waiter says, I'll do you one better, and he comes back, and he has a baggie full to the brim of sweet and low packets. And Kyle, you know, he's a dude. He doesn't think too much of it. He takes the packet. He's like, oh, this is cool. And he throws it in his briefcase and closes his briefcase shut. And then he goes throughout his week, and he goes down to the Denver airport. He picks up his wife, and they drive to the resort. And they're there. They're just having a great time, and then dinner comes. And they're just having a wonderful time, having great conversation, lots of laughter and love and the waitress comes by and she says, could I give you guys any dessert or coffee? And Kyle's wife in that moment just becomes so dejected. She was like, oh my gosh. Yes, I would love coffee. I would love dessert, but you guys don't have any sweet and low. And I can't drink coffee without sweet and low. And in that moment, it clicked again for Kyle. He said, honey, honey, hold on. Just, just wait a second. And he reaches down. He picks up his briefcase. He puts it on the table. He opens it up. He starts rummaging through the briefcase. And he finds a baggie filled to the brim of sweet and low, and he holds it out in front of himself before his wife. And he's smiling from ear to ear. And Kyle's wife begins to smile from ear to ear. And the waitress doesn't know what's going on, so she smiles from ear to ear, <laughs> you know? But you can feel it. You can feel the affection for one another between Kyle and Kyle's wife. And Kyle's wife says, Kyle, you were thinking of me? Like beforehand? And Kyle's shaking and said, of course, sweetheart. And she orders coffee and she said, we'll take the cheesecake. I love cheesecake. And they finish the coffee, they finish the dessert, and they are just so jovial. It's just such a beautiful, beautiful, sacred moment. And as they're walking out of the restaurant, Kyle's wife is pulling Kyle so close to Kyle. Just so like you can't separate them if you try. And Kyle has his wife around his wife, his arm around his wife. There we go, his arm around his wife. 
And he prays this prayer that I love so much. Just to the Lord in his mind, he just says, God, didn't we love her well? Didn't we love her well? You see, Kyle's understanding of this moment was that he had been going to that writer's retreat for 25 years and hadn't thought once of the sweet and low packets. But he heard the voice of God. Hey, Kyle, you should pick some of those up. I've got a moment for you. And he responded. It was such a beautiful response. And so my challenge to you is as you have this sweet and low packet in your pocket, who is God asking you to love? How is God asking you for your love to be increased? Where is God asking you to increase your love? Maybe God is asking you to increase your love toward him. He's calling you to come close. Insert your name. You've not been mindful of me. You have not noticed me. You just come in on Sunday, you feel good about worship and the message, and then you leave and you are not mindful of me. Maybe it's a spouse or a parent or your kid that you have not been loving well. And I would encourage you to invite the Lord into this moment, asking God, how can I love them better? And, And let me tell you, it starts with abiding in Christ crying out to the Father, God, I do not know how I'm going to have a conversation with my neighbor. He's different. (laughs) And God says, I know. Let me show you. It'll not make sense oftentimes. We serve a God of an upside-down kingdom. And so we have to listen to the voice of God telling us where to love, who to love, how to love. And then you have to take the responsibility You see, God could have just reached out of heaven and gave sweet and low to Kyle's wife, but that's not how God works. God wanted to not only bless Kyle's wife, but bless Kyle. And so Kyle became a conduit of the love of Christ. And guess what, my friends? He is asking all of us to be conduits of his love and affection to this world. What an honor that that is. So maybe there are some decisions that you need to make. Maybe there's somebody standing next to you or sitting next to you and you just reach over and squeeze their hand and say, I want to love you better. Maybe it's a prayer, God, I confess you as Lord and God of my life for the first time ever. And you make a decision to follow Jesus today. Maybe it's to reach out to someone that just hurt you so badly. You have so much bitterness and resentment toward them and you just say, I'm sorry. It's self-denial. I don't know what that is, but it'll be different for every single person in this room. Don't miss this moment. It's a moment to respond. Let us pray. God, right now, I just pray that you would just impress on us where you're asking for our love to be increased. Maybe it's to you, Father. And I confess there are moments where that is true in my life, that I am not loving you well, Jesus. Lord, I pray that There will just be a moment and moments that come from this of reconciliation, of broken relationships that don't ever feel like they'll ever be restored. God, I pray for healing. I pray for your voice to to lead us and direct us and to love us well. Jesus, we confess that you are God. Apart from you, we have no good thing. Teach us, show us how to love. In your name we pray, Amen. amen. Amen, amen.